Hi, everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week, we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the See It To Be It podcast. I'm your host, Melinda Garvey. And super excited to be with you this month, once again, bringing you an amazing role model. We are here today with Tonita Webb. She is the CEO of Verity Credit Union, and we are just super excited to hear your story and to chat with you today. Welcome to the show, Tonita. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Well, I would love for you, just as I ask all my guests to kind of talk about your big dream. When you were growing up, when you were a little girl, what did you think you were going to be doing when you grew up? What did your path look like? I'm still surprised where I am today. I grew up in a single-parent household, and my mom was really sick with lupus, so my responsibilities were to help her and take care of my younger siblings. So, you know, I didn't really, there was not much space for me to pick a path. But one of the things that was constant with me is in the trauma and just discomfort of where I was, I just kept dreaming of living a different place. I didn't know where a place was. I knew it wasn't my hometown. And I kept that possibility in front of me. And as I got older in school, I was pretty good at math and science. And In my high school, there was a big push for African-Americans to be engineers. So I was in this group called SECME, Southeastern Minorities in Engineering. And that's what I originally went to college for, is to be an engineer. While my mind can think that way, I'm not necessarily built to be an engineer. I'm a little (laughs) bit too much of a chatty Kathy to be just so focus in the way I think you need to be in engineering. I'm really a people person and I love to help people achieve. And that's how I got into management in that way that I can think like an engineer at times led me down the business route. Very interesting. Well, and interesting, I think too, that sort of that dream of just you know, getting out to another place. Like, I'm not sure where it is. I know that there's more for me out there than this. And I think that's really powerful as a dream and just something I want to sort of reiterate to everybody listening that you don't have to have a specific, like, I want to be this specific thing and I'm going to go to school for this, but just that desire for more, that desire for different, to break the mold, if you will. And I think that's super cool and obviously drove a lot of that. I know that you were in the Air Force. Yes. You were a security police officer. I'd love to just talk about how'd you get into the Air Force? Like, where did that come in in your path? Another little twist and turn there. It's still about the dreaming, right? So when I was in college and one of the things in this, I think this is the engineering brain. I just did not want to be in a lot of debt. I didn't want a lot of student loan debt. And I know other folks have it. And that was the decision for them. I'm not knocking it. Debt just stressed me out, right? So I was like, how can I finish paying for school without having a tremendous amount of debt? And so I listened to my recruiter. You can join the Air Force and then you can get stationed right back here. And then you can join right back in. I was at Hampton University and I was like, oh, okay. I can just come right back here. I could do this in the summer, knock it out. And this was not reserved. This was 
active duty Air Force. And I went into the Air Force because one, I knew I couldn't live back home. And then I, I needed a way to finish Panther school. And I had every intention that I was going to come back to Hampton, Virginia, finish school. My first duty station was Berlin, Germany. And I was like, well, well that's not Hampton, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> and security police came into it because in order for me to get into the Air Force, the Air Force typically back then had a waiting list. And the recruiter said, well, you can take this job and you can be done in the summer and you can be right back here in Hampton and finish, you know, college. And I'm like, okay, never touched a gun and didn't know how to hold a gun. Okay, I'll go for it. I'll do it. I'll get something out in the experience at least. And probably four months later, I'm in Berlin, Germany, and I'm a police officer. <laughs> that was not in the plan. <laughs> So how long did you do that before you finally kind of got back on your path? You know, I did it the whole time I was in the military because one of the things, and there's always a plan greater than yours, right? One of the things that allowed me to finish school was the shift work Mm. that I had to do as a police officer. So I would work at night and then I would go to school because in Germany, they had all these satellite campuses. So I would take classes and I finished school that way. I still finished school, just not in the way I thought I was going to do. <laughs> right. Very interesting. Obviously, you pivoted into the financial industry. So is there something particular that interested you or drove you into that? What was the spark that got you there? You know, I probably have the most boring way that I got into things. So you fast forward four years, I'm married now, I'm having kids, and I am having to go temporary duty all the time. And it was aching my heart to be away from my children. So I decided to get out of the military. That was just the best option because we were both active duty, which is a little difficult. We have kids. So I wanted to get a job quickly. I used my GI Bill to take a teller course. And so I went in this teller course and my first job was at a bank. And it was, I'm dating myself. I was working nights so I could be home with my daughter in the day. And I would 10 key checks. All the branches would bring their checks to this one location and we would 10 key until two o'clock in the morning. Well, apparently I was good at that. So they asked me to work in the training department to help train folks. And then that introduced me to HR, actually. And so I was like, oh, people, I love working with people. And um, that started my HR career because then my husband got orders and we went to Florida and I started working for the Department of Health in their HR department. And that just helped me awaken this desire to help people. Now, in the healthcare field, it was a different kind of help, but it just spoke to my heart, just the needs people have. I saw financial needs. I saw healthcare needs. I saw all kinds of needs. And I knew that I was kind of on the right track. You fast forward another year or two, my husband's at 10 years and we decide, are we lifers? Or is this when we're going to get out? And we got another kid. So we decided to get out. And we like Florida. We'll stay here in Florida. 
until we experienced one too many hurricanes. And then we said, okay, <laughs> Seattle was okay. We're going to go back to Seattle because we have been stationed here. So we mm-hmm. did. And my story is just different. I end up getting pregnant with one more kid and then another kid. I'm on my fourth kid. And I said, you know what? We're done because when we put this one in preschool, I want to go back to work. So that happens after my fourth kid. And I'm so grateful for all of them. I never saw myself with a large family, but I can't see myself without that large family. Mm -hmm. And I had three options. I had a bakery, I had a credit union, and the Seattle at the time, Supersonics, which were huge sports fans. And that felt like the natural fit to take that job. But the credit union just spoke to me because I thought maybe I would have a better opportunity to help people. And thank goodness I did because they went to Oklahoma the next year. And I don't know. <laughs> we would have been okay in Oklahoma. <laughs> kind of want to focus a little bit in on just, you know, you talk about, you know, at the credit union and helping people. And I think that financial literacy is huge. And, you know, you talk about, you know, your instinct of like, I don't want to go into life with all this debt. And, you know, that's not an instinct that a, a lot of people have. Or, and I know that one of the big challenges, you know, with even college educated is that they have on all this debt and they don't have the kind of financial literacy, like literally the day in, day out. So I kind of wanted to just talk about that, especially vis-a-vis, you know, the BIPOC community and how much more it affects that community not having this education. And so I'd just love for you to kind of weigh in on that a little bit. This is perfect. I think, especially for the BIPOC community, we start off in life a lot of times, at least in my community, about what wasn't possible for us, right? And there are some systemic things that are within the financial institution that does prevent. So one of the things that drives me as a BIPOC woman is that I get to change the system. I get to be part of being more inclusive and an equitable system. The first thing that I need everyone to know, and especially BIPOC folks, you're going to make mistakes. I learned what I know today through trial and error. I didn't have great examples of how do you plot a financial future. Made a lot of mistakes along the way. I saw my mom struggle with debt because of her illness and being so sick. It was hard for her to work a lot of times. And I just knew, not in a blaming my mom kind of way, but in a way that this was not the life I wanted for myself. And because I'm a natural nerd, when it's something different, I'll just do research, right? How can I do this differently? I don't want to be here. And it doesn't mean, and I can't say this enough, that even though I had those stops, that I still didn't make mistakes. Sure. And what I try to do is remember how I felt in those mistakes. And instead of beating myself up because I made the mistakes, okay, what do I need to do different so I don't stay here? And I think some folks experience so much shame and guilt from their mistakes. They don't allow themselves time to grow from them. My mistakes, I don't care how many degrees I have, my mistakes is my greatest 
education because I've learned so much in doing so. I don't want people to think you have to be super smart. You have to have all this education. You don't. You just learn as you go and just course correct. And sometimes you take five steps forward and then 10 steps backwards, but it's okay. You just keep moving forward and you will get to a point of wherever you want your goals to take you. And that's different for everyone. But I do think we as financial institutions, me as a CEO, because I've already made a lot of mistakes, I have a responsibility to bring that education to folks. And we do at my institution or organization, we do have financial literacy. But I want folks to know that your mistakes are not the end of you. And that's what we find most times why people haven't gotten into a financial literacy program or they're not even seeking help because of shame, bad decisions. Right. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I know there's been, and I think it's Arizona that passed a law that now they have financial literacy in high school, but that's actually a requirement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I personally think it should be requirement everywhere, but really just understanding what a mortgage is. And I think that those little things, and when you're talking, you know, specifically about underserved communities or not even knowing the path Mm -hmm. to change, because just not being in debt, is not it. How do you use your money and and how do you make more? And and what does it mean to have a mortgage? All the things that people, right, that have privilege do have access to. And so I do think that it's so pivotal to just that education about not just like, oh, here's how to stay out of debt, but here's how to actually build wealth. Absolutely. So I started off saying I didn't want a lot of debt, right? So I had this negative reaction to debt. I had to change my thinking around that, right? Because I did need to build my credit and there's going to take some debt to do that. And there's good debt. And there's debt builds generational wealth, right? Property only. That's building a future for your children, your family. And those are often things that we're not taught because we don't see them sometimes in our families and communities. And that's not everybody because we're not monolithic. But we do know a great deal of BIPOC communities are not seeing that. They're not privileged enough to see that in a generational form. Yes. Very true. And of course, and then they don't have access to it in the systems that like school, you know, and having it be part of a high school requirement, which I'm sort of like, duh, that should be, believe me, there are plenty of young people of privilege you think should know and don't know because their parents haven't taught them, you know? And so I think that generationally, but I do think specifically for these underserved communities, it could be an absolute game changer. So let's talk a little bit about you know, you're a woman and you're a woman of color. You are in an industry that is very male dominated. <laughs> and I would say probably very white male dominated. Absolutely. Um, I would love yeah. for you just to talk about either challenges you had along the way, or maybe some things where you feel like, wow, because of my passion for diversity and inclusion, I got ahead in certain ways. Like I love just to kind of talk about your experience as a black woman coming up in this world. You know, it's not easy, but I'm going to say one thing I had to learn early on. I wasn't equipped to walk into this world and walking into this world of leadership, management and business 
everything that I was supposed to be was designed by white males, right? And I did not feel comfortable in my skin because I didn't grow up with a white male experience. I'm not a white male. And so what I had to learn to do, and I'm so thankful that whether a mentor told me this or somehow I discovered I had to work on me. I had to know who I was before I could navigate my career journey in my own skin and feel comfortable in it. So one of the things I often say that sometimes shocks people, especially when I'm talking about business and career, I got a therapist and I talked to that therapist about my trauma as a BIPOC woman and the difficulties I'm having navigating a very white male space, white male cisgender space, right? Because my heart is so big for everyone and I want everyone to feel inclusive. How do I navigate my own feeling of exclusion? And then when I see others excluded. And so I've been in therapy for years to help navigate that space. And what I found when I got comfortable with me, the things that I experienced from narrow-minded folks or biased people, it didn't impact me the way it did before because I was balancing assimilation and ignoring the things that were important to me and becoming comfortable with myself and how I show up in space actually allowed me to help far more people because now I'm relatable, right? Especially to BIPOC communities. When I tell my story and it's true and not feel shame behind it, then the door of possibilities open for others because others are like, wait a minute, my background was similar. Oh, wait, she got through that. Now I can do it. But if I showed up in the way everyone told me I should show up, which is to assimilate as much as possible, then there's a whole group of folks that don't get to know that where you started is not where you have to finish. And so it wasn't necessarily I had to fix this person or that person or change the system, which I'm still working on, (laughs) but not there yet. But really, I had to work on me. And that sometimes folks are really scared to do that or their, you know, biases about what therapy means. But I would tell you it was a lifesaver for me, working on me and being comfortable with my journey and knowing my journey actually gave me knowledge and information to help other folks with a similar journey. Well, and I think that you've you know, hit on something, obviously women in general have been dealing with this for years is like, how do you sort of break through that glass ceiling? You know, that's kind of one of the things we always talk about the glass ceiling, but I think that the newsflash is we got to get through that ceiling in order to create the change. Right. I think that sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow because we look at it and pretty clear what the issues are. You know, we can identify what the issues are. And if only you know, the perpetrators would change, which would be great if we could wave a magic wand and say, look, here are all the things that we can see really clearly that you might not be able to see, but we can see, you know, if you just would do these things differently, that's just not going to happen. 
So I think dealing in reality, which is kind of what it sounds like working on yourself to be able to say, okay, I need to have enough confidence. I need to accept enough about myself. I need to not live in anger and be mad about, I I just have to go, how do I make this path? Because the best way to create change is to be at the top. Absolutely. That is it in a nutshell. How do I navigate this path? I got to get there. And my journey is not going to be his journey. How do I create my own journey? And a lot of times that's working on you. And let me say the journey, I may be the CEO. The journey is not over for me. The journey gets tougher. And so still in therapy, got an executive coach, right? (laughs) Because those challenges that we experience, if you're not taking care of yourself, they can eat at you. And what it does in the long term, then you get self-conscious or you don't have the willingness to take chances. I've gotten to where I am because I just said, okay, why not? I'll try it. Right. And that was because I was comfortable with myself to do it. Didn't know how I was going to do it. Didn't even really, I wasn't there in understanding that I could do it and that I had the skill set. But one of the things that was consistent with me, constant with me is I'm just going to try it. What's the worst that can happen? And if I need some help along the way, I'll get some help. And so many women in general, and especially BIPOC women, we take ourselves out of the running because we're so self-conscious. Our self-esteem is often low. And I get why, because the stuff we're dealing with as women along the way, if we're not caring for ourselves, that stuff is going to impact you. And then that just prevents you from going for opportunities to make that difference that we're talking about. Absolutely. Well, and I appreciate you just sharing so transparently about the fact that you did go to therapy and you have a coach and you have these things, because I think that a lot of times people see someone successful and they go, oh, well, gosh, you know, they got there on their own and I just can't see my path. But knowing, you know, we all have to support one another. And part of doing this podcast, for example, to see it to be, it is a piece of it. And I think that women and certainly BIPOC women need to constantly seek out, you know, as listeners, like your job is to go seek out as many amazing women, women of color, people that you've seen do it constantly and put that in front of you. That's right. Mm -hmm. You know, no one can do that for you. No one can force you to be open to that. But I think you being open to those things and really seeing it could be you too. So I think that's awesome. I mean, as we kind of wrap up today, I would love for you to tell us like, what's one piece of advice that is just like your favorite piece of advice either to give or something that you were given along the way that you kind of hold true? You know, I was told for many years how strong of a person I am and I'm a strong woman and I have learned to throw that away, right? I'm a human being and there are things that we as women have to balance that a lot of times our male counterparts do not. And I have learned to accept my humanity, take space for myself, because we don't rest. We're expected to be all things to everybody. I'm expected to be a good wife, a good mom, a good, you know, CEO, a good mentor, all these things, because I'm a strong woman, I'm supposed to show up and be. And that is not seeing me as a human. 
And that's not allowing me to embrace my humanity, flaws and all. And we have to normalize, stop putting that label on women and stop having all these expectations on women that you don't have on males. And let's be honest, it's the society as a whole has an idea of who you're supposed to be as a wife, as a partner. And not only are women coming into the workplace to battle all the work, place um, issues, but we're also a lot of times balancing our motherhood, balancing how we partner with your spouse having their own expectations and maybe stereotypes of what a male and woman relationship is. That's a lot. Give yourself space to work through that and get to that place where you're happy and whatever you need to do to work through that. Someone told me that a long time ago. You're not superwoman. Well, you are a confident, you are an amazing person. Don't accept that title of strong like you're not human. No, that's awesome. Well, I so appreciate that. I appreciate your time today and you being on the show and sharing so transparently. And we will all be watching to see what you do next. Because as you said, The journey continues. So thank you. Appreciate you being on the show. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week and check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at onthedotwoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.